Excitement of life in that, and I uh, wanted to share that with you just to let you guys know, like Simon said, that you're part of something bigger. Um, what, what God is doing here uh, is happening all over the world. Uh, we're actually living in the, the greatest time of the gospel and the message about Christ spreading, and uh, I'm so glad that I get to say I, I lived at this point in history. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Uh, we're going to be looking at God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, you probably have a smartphone. So um, when we say look down and read, or you'll look on the screen and read, that'll be your chance to download the Bible app. Okay, make it easy uh, for all of us in here. Uh, but listen, I am so glad to be here. Greetings from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I, we, we have a gathering uh, like this is going on. Uh, actually, it's already happened this morning in uh, Central Standards Time at Bethel World Outreach. Just greetings from Pastor James and our leadership team there, our Every Nation Church, uh, Bethel. Um, it's it's a, great, a tremendous place for me to serve and to work. It's one of the largest multi-ethnic churches uh, in Tennessee and uh, really is a model church for a lot of uh, people in the area. And uh, one of the things we put up is a billboard all around town years ago that has a, a praying hands. is a black hand and a white hand. And uh, we, we lifted up that, that vision, that picture. Someone else said something about reconciliation, that picture of people coming together in a place unlikely. But because of the message about Jesus, it becomes reality. And uh, it's, we've been so blessed there to be a part of that. So again, greetings. I wanted to show you a qu quick picture here of my family. Um, I don't know if you can see that there. So. Uh, there's my five. Uh, see Simeon down here to the left. He's my oldest. He's 10. Uh, next is Judah sitting next to my wife. That's my wife, Janessa. Uh, he's eight. And Eden is there in the front. She's five. Never left out of anything. Uh, she's always, nah, what about me? What about me? Uh, it's, it's, it's not your birthday today, but what about me? Uh, that's Eden. And, uh, and then I'm holding Elias. He's three. And uh, he's, he's the one that likes to jump off the couches and wrestle everybody. And then uh, e uh, Selah is our youngest there that my wife's holding. She is two, and uh, she, she's got me wrapped around her finger. So she's awesome. I will say this just real quick. If you look at that picture, uh, of course you're seeing the Photoshopped edition uh, from a very expensive photographer, right? <laughs> and so, I mean, this is Hallmark season, so this is a hallmark picture for us. Uh, this was actually taken last year, but there's a lot of stuff you don't see. There's a lot of stuff you don't see. And, and here's the thing, and, and for, for what you don't see, for me and my wife, this is um, a very, probably one of our most special pictures that we have. Here's why it's so special. Uh, last year, when, right, right, not maybe a month or two before uh, we took this picture, uh, we actually had a miscarriage. So last October, uh, we're getting ready. We, we were just finishing the first trimester of uh, really what we thought was going to be our, our, our sixth child. Um, we, we had a miscarriage, and this was our first one. And so, uh, again, this time last year for us looked a lot different. I don't know about you guys, uh, sometimes holidays look different, don't they? 
Sometimes seasons of life look different and it doesn't go the way uh, planned. But if you look at this picture, and again, there's, there's a lot more here, uh, but this was supposed to be a maternity shoot. And so when we see this picture, like you guys saw this picture, said, oh, it's how cute. How... For us, we have a whole other set of uh, a world underneath a picture, right? How would you ever know that? Well, there's only one way you would know that. I would have to share it with you personally. You would have had to have a private conversation either with me or my wife, and we could have downloaded some of the information. And now that picture has maybe a little bit more meaning, not the same meaning as it does for, uh, for us as a family. But you know what? Today, that's, that's actually what we're going to read about, is a private conversation has the ability to be powerful. It has the ability to change and transform how you see something, how you see someone, even how you see yourself. Today we're going to read about a private conversation from Luke chapter 24. And uh, if you got your Bible, I'm going to read from the New International Version. Some people joke the nearly inspired version, but that's a Christian joke <laughs> from the Bible Belt. Sorry. And uh, we're going to read here starting in verse 13. I'm, we'll have the words on the screen and I'll, I'll read it here. It said, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and he walked along with them. Man, this, this, is good. this sounds like a great joke, right? Jesus is going to walk with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, and their faces were downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked them, are you, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers, they handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this has taken place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they, they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open. And they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those 
uh, those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them. When he broke the bread. Sorry. You know, this, this is a powerful, uh, I'll say story narrative here. Luke didn't tell a whole lot of stories. Luke is the writer of this gospel. He's a, uh, a doctor. And so we're talking about private conversations. Well, before we do, this is actually a private conversation. Luke wasn't sitting here thinking about any of us. Luke was, Luke was a doctor, and he had spent some time doing some research and investigative work. Maybe you're here today and, and Christianity is fairly new or you're feeling it out. Somebody invited you. You're, you're checking out this whole Christian thing and, and, and you're wondering, oh, man, can it be true? And again, I like what we're reading today because it says that, you know what? Some of the people that actually followed Jesus were the least likely to. They actually had a lot of doubts, a lot of concerns, a lot of issues. They didn't even believe it. It was unbelievable to them. And this is what Luke is setting out to actually go straight after He's not trying to sidestep the conversation. He's, he's, he's trying to come straight after the fact that, you know what? This is some unbelievable stuff that this Jesus did, and, and let me help by investigating the actual people. There's, a, there's a, um, uh, an author and, and a scholar. His name is Richard Bachman from the UK, and uh, he wrote a book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And, and, and in his book, he, he kind of goes through, looking through the Gospels, and what he's, he notices in the text is that how they write is, is, is just like an investigative reporter would, or, or someone who is doing deep research work. We see even, even from this text here, he starts out uh, the passage, he says, now that same day, two of them were going to Emmaus. He goes on later, he says, Cleopas. He's, he's naming names. You know, this, this doesn't start like some of my favorite things in a galaxy far, far away. There was once time there was some people. It's, it's not generic. This becomes real specific. It's almost as if, you know what? You can actually go and ask Cleopas himself. You go find this guy. Like Mary and Simon and Peter. I mean, he's just naming names as if this is real investigative report work, reporter work, and I want you to go, go face the facts. You see... Luke had sat down, someone had, uh, we believe it's a wealthy benefactor, his name is Theophilus. He said at the very beginning of this letter, I am writing this to you, Theophilus, so you know. So do you know? And he's writing it in, in many ways to us, so that we can know and be a part of this private conversation that Theophilus and Luke were having. And, and here's the, the, there's just a few things I want to pull out today from this passage and how I believe, not, I believe this, this, this passage we can find each of ourselves in. I believe we can find our, our families, our lives in. And it's, it's through this power of a private conversation. But here's the, the primary thing that I want you to get today. Jesus wants to be in your private conversations. Some of you, you've got questions for days. I, I, I grew up kind of an inquisitive young man uh, in the South. Um, I, I wound up getting a science degree. So when, when I set out on my faith journey, which was really in college, I, I really had to know. I had to study. I had to make sure, is this really true? Is this, is, I, I, I've heard some things growing up, but is, it, it, what is this all about? Is Jesus real? Does he really... Uh, uh, is he really going to do what he said he's going to do? 
And the, the, uh, the powerful thing that I find in this text today is that Jesus wants to insert himself into those conversations. These two men are walking away from really the, 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 the greatest place of disappointment in their lives. I mean, imagine with me, uh, you know, you're young, you've, you've uh, given up all of your future to follow one person, and, and this person, it, you've got all your hopes and dreams, all your eggs in your basket. You ever put all your eggs in one basket before? All your hopes, all your dreams on that one job or that one relationship or, or, or man, this one check that's going to come in the mail. And, and for them, they had, they had sold the farm for this guy, Jesus. They'd given up everything. I, I'm going to follow Jesus. And, and here's what they'd given it up for. They just knew he was going to be the most preeminent political leader of all time. Nobody does that in America, right? Nobody talks about politics in, in Portland, Oregon. But, but, but for them, this was the conversation piece. Because they weren't living in a democracy. They were living under the thumb and, and the, the, the heavy press of the Roman Empire. They weren't living in America. They were living under a dictatorship. And this group of people, they're, they're living in such a way that, that God had all throughout history had said, I've got promises that I'm going to deliver you. And so the conversation piece at the dinner table the conversation piece as, as they walked and talked with Jesus is, man, man, we've got some good seats. We're going to be in the cabinet. We're going to have special positions and seats of authority. And you know what? Everything came crashing down. When Jesus died, their world went in disarray. They began to walk away. And it says that they had walked to this town uh, several miles over. It's about uh, seven miles from Jerusalem. And here's the thing. I, I love how Jesus walks in. He starts talking and he starts asking questions. They didn't, they didn't invite him. They didn't pray, oh Lord, will you please come show up and then do it. He, he just shows up. That's the thing about Jesus. He, 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 he uninvited guest. I don't know about you, I mean, if, if all the Christians in this room, I could probably have them stand up on the mic and begin to share the stories of how God just interrupted their lives. We did a, we did a series one time on campus, that was called Pardon the Interruption. Because it seemed like Jesus, that's, that was what he was in the business of doing, stepping into people's lives saying, hey, I know you didn't ask for me, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the God of the universe, like I, I, I know where you should be doing, I know what your name should be. Actually, let's just change your name right now. I know you, I know, no votes, you're just going to do it right now. And this is what this Jesus would do. He has no problem inserting himself into your life. Some of you in here today, you're, you're just like these two. You're, maybe, maybe it's not wandering from the faith completely, but man, maybe you're, you're a little disillusioned. Maybe you're going through a season where you're, you're not sure about some of the things you thought you were sure about. And for them, it was a religious surety. I know it's, it's Jesus. He's the, he's the one we've been waiting for. And, and, and in a real sense, it, they felt let down by God. I'm following Jesus, but it let me down. Is that possible? Yes. And let me tell you today, if that's you, there's good news in this whole passage because he's not going to leave you there. The Jesus of scripture, he's not going to leave you. I know right now it is very cool to be on the search, to be looking for yourself, to be trying to find your way in life, but it's not cool at all to find it 
to actually like I arrive somewhere. It's like, no, I'm supposed to, the, the cool thing is just that I, I keep looking. But Jesus makes it real clear. It's possible to actually find. And, and obviously he's the one that wants you to find him, discover him, recognize him. See, Cleopas's problem and his friend, they thought that God was just going to deliver them in their circumstances. When really God was trying to show up to them. I'll say it a different way. Why were they so disillusioned and downcast? Why were these two so disillusioned and downcast? Because they did not take a second to peer face to face with the fact of the resurrection. Why is depression and anxiety such an issue? I mean, this is complex. We could talk about a lot of different theories, a lot of different ideas, a lot of different uh, nice clinical words. But let me, let me just, again, in a, in a, at the risk of sounding simplistic, say why do we lose our hope is because we don't take long enough to gaze at the powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had lost all hope, and hope was standing right there. Their whole future of who they would be, resurrected in, in a new life, new body, new, new state of being, was standing right there. They couldn't even recognize him. Could it be that, that some of the things that we're going through right now, that Jesus is walking right in the midst of what we're going through, he's trying to have conversations with us right where we are, but he's trying to introduce us to this powerful reality of the resurrection. You say, Pastor Devin, why are we talking about the resurrection? That's a good Easter message. Because Christmas makes no sense unless there is a resurrection. Unless this hoped for redeemer of Israel, redeemer of all humanity, unless he has already defeated the real foes of my life, it, it, there's no hope. I know um, when I was uh, in college, it was when I met Christ. And uh, again, like I mentioned, it, I didn't know that God was walking with me through it all. And thankfully, there was a, uh, there was a, a, he wasn't young, he was a traveling country music singer. I didn't know this at the time. I showed up at a, at a small church plant. It had just gotten started and, you know, it was like six months old, smaller than this. And we, we actually met on the college campus where I was at. And after coming to this, this uh, church, you know, I kind of checked it out. We had, I played football in college at Middle Tennessee State University, and it was, it was there that we had a chaplain that used to reach out to us and invite us to this church service because it was a church that he was starting right there on campus. And here I am going to this church service, and guess what? Nothing happened. I mean, I, I grew up in a, a Catholic home, and I mean, there was, there was no hymns. There was no organ. It was a band similar to this. There's, there's, songs they're singing I don't know and I, I, I kind of you know heard the message I, I walked out or getting ready to walk out a guy comes up to me says hey I, my name's Ron I listen I want to invite you out we're doing a bible study on, on your campus in the bottom of this dorm and something in my heart leapt you see I, I, I did not have a relationship with God it was it was as almost as if I didn't know he was there and I just could not recognize him but finally the, 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 the sleep was coming out of my eyes where I could say, you know what? I think that could help me. The darkness that I was in, this could be the light. And I'll never forget going to this Bible study, and, and it, was, it was as simple as reading the words of Jesus. Nothing fancy, nothing, uh, 
it, you know, there was nothing worth putting on Instagram or Facebook or, or Twitter about. No tweetable moments. But it was just reading the words of Jesus. And, and for the first time, I realized, you know what? This guy is way different than I thought he was. That's this Jesus. He wants to have private conversations with us. He wants to uh, step in and interrupt himself in our life. And, and he wants to shift our understanding about him. See, the second thing, if the first thing was that Jesus wants to step into our conversation, the second thing is Jesus wants to be impossible to ignore. I talked a little bit about my, my experience with Scripture. Look what Jesus did in verse 27. It said, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. Now, this is strange to me because Jesus' name is nowhere in the Old Testament. By that, I mean the actual word Jesus that we have. To, it's a transliterated word, by the way. And so I, I, when I read that for the first time, I, I said, what is Jesus doing? How can he find himself in all of the scriptures? And what I realized is uh, Jesus was, was placing himself as now the central theme of, of really what the Old Testament was saying. I know you guys have been going through a series talking about the wilderness and Pastor Simon has been, I've been listening online and just how he's been weaving in the, the storyline and how really the Old Testament story, it's, it's just frayed. It's, it leaves you with uh, endings untied. It's kind of like the ending of Lost. I don't know if y'all remember that TV show, but it was just, it was, it was more questions, more problems. <laughs> what happened? It's fact, actually funny. So J.J. Abrams was one of the writers of Lost, and um, I remember, this is over 10 years ago now, he did a TED Talk, and in the TED Talk, it was on the mystery box. Anybody seen the one on the mystery box? Go home and Google it later. It's pretty cool. Save you 18 minutes. The mystery box for him was he, he had a grandfather, and uh, he, he, was, he adored his grandfather, and his grandfather introduced him to magic, though. And he took him downtown New York to a magic shop, and he purchased this box, non-discreet, discriminate box, it just, it, and it says, Mr. Tannen's Magical World of Magic, or something like that. And J.J. says, man, to this day, I have this sitting in my office. I've never opened it since I was a kid. He said, he said the, the powerful thing, he said, what I began to realize, not just about storytelling, but about life, is that this is like a central metaphor like that there's always this question, and really what storytelling is, is taking you from question to the next question to the next question, and, and this becomes the mystery box. He said, this is how I tell my stories. I just, you know, Han Solo did this, and then Leia's going to do this, and then, uh, you know, this is how we'll keep the story going. And, and, and in a sense, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you know what, I am the actual answer and the question in your life forever. If you have me in your life, my words and who I am is never going to be, uh, it's going to at the same time be everything you need, but it's also going to propose all kinds of different challenges to your faith. It's going to call you out of the assumption that, all right, I know what he's doing. I know where this is going. I know the ending to this story. You see, Jesus becomes, uh, so to speak, the mystery box. I'll, I'll say it differently. He wants to be impossible to ignore. You see, I could go through all the stories of the Old Testament. There's, you know, the, many of you heard of Adam and Eve, right? In the garden, they, they sin. Well, the New Testament says that 
Jesus is the new Adam. That in a, in, a, in a real way, how Adam failed, Jesus prevailed. And he actually overcame sin. He overcame Satan. He overcame temptation. And he, he, he actually lived a perfectly pure life before God that allowed him to be the substitute for each one of us and our sins and our shortcomings, our failures, the chaos we cause from our sin. I mean, I could keep going. Jesus is way better than Moses. I mean, Moses, you guys have been reading a little bit about him leading people through the desert, but Moses, you know, he, he lifts up the staff, Charlton Heston style, right? He just parts the Red Sea, and the waters part. Jesus is, is really, he, he's the greater leader because he didn't stretch out his hands with a staff in it. He stretched out his hands on the cross, and he said, it is finished. I've now provided a way. And it said when he said this, the, the, tour, the, the veil that was in the temple, which was the holy place of God, only one person could come in once a year to just come into that, that room. And the presence of God was supposed to be in the room of this temple. The, the top to bottom, it tore. Jesus becomes all of the themes and all the stories. He becomes the, the loose end that, that connects it now, that weaves it back into purpose and meaning for our life today. Jesus is, 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 in a real way, I can keep going through all the greats of David, of uh, Nehemiah, of, uh, of, of King Solomon. Jesus becomes the one who is now the one who that was pointing to. It didn't look like a good ending, but now it makes sense because Jesus came. It didn't look like it made any sense. Why are they killing animals and blood and all this stuff? But oh yeah, the blood of Jesus. That's why. He became the reason that God was doing everything he was doing and continues to be the reason. He continues to be the reason. Some of you are sitting here trying to find the way. Let me tell you, Jesus knows the way back. He knows the way back to where you're supposed to be. He is faithful to lead you and guide you, even when you cannot recognize him. That's how good he is. And Last thing I'm going to say here today, and, and uh, we'll pray, is Jesus not only wants to step into our com private conversations, he not only wants to be impossible to ignore, he also wants us to walk with the truth. Notice how he, uh, this passage kind of ends. Jesus had broke bread. It said that their eyes, in verse 30, uh, 31, then their eyes were open and they recognized him, and then he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And he opened the scriptures to us. And they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven. And those with them assembled together. And it says, and saying, it is true. It's true. These same doubting, fearful, downcast individuals had an encounter with Jesus where they finally recognized who he was. They finally recognized he had been there all along. They finally saw that he was the one that, that had done the impossible. The resurrection had now offered all new possibilities for their life, for their future. And they said it's true. Notice that the same disciples that had, they had walked away from Jerusalem, downcast, now they can't help but go back. 
Now they can't help but say, you know what, I've got a truth. Now, now again, I, I know Portland, this is not a fancy or a popular thing to say. It's like, I've got a truth. Most people, you know, you got your truth, I've got mine. That's your truth. This is my truth. They came back with this truth. He's alive. He's alive. Do you not just think he's alive, but is there something inside of you that says he's alive? He's not dead. My situation's not dead. My, my, my family is not dead. My finances, they're not dead. My, 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 the mountain in front of me, it, 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 does, it might be screaming death, but, but the, the Jesus that I serve, he's screaming back, but I'm the resurrection and the life. Nobody could come to the Father except through me. I, I have the hope. I've got the words of life. Where else can we go? I've come today to encourage you. Jesus is walking with many of you. He's way closer than you think he is. He's been hiding in plain sight. And he's coming to engage you. He's coming to start a conversation. He's not going to let you do all the talking, though. He's not just going to listen. He's got something to say. And he's got somewhere for you to go. These two, they they wind up... um, going back to the 11. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, they're they're getting to share the good news that they saw Jesus before some other people did. This is is special. It's almost as if Jesus went out of his way to let them have this moment with him. I believe the same is for some of us in here. Jesus is going out of his way so that you can get into his way, his path, this relationship with him. Your heart will burn in a good way. You will, you will be set ablaze, not from the deadness of, of following again, finding your own way. That, that, that just leads to dead ends. This will lead to life. This to lead to you fully alive. You fully being who God had called you to be, a bearer of the truth.